We have some intriguing Bible history on Search for Truth Radio today involving Israel and Persia and God's sovereign involvement in their past events. Once again, we're with our Bible teacher, Brian Johnston, and this series is called Our God Reigns, a series of studies on the awesome sovereignty of God. Now, the events involving Israel and Persia were triggered when, in October, October the 12th to be precise, in 539 BC, Cyrus and his army entered the great impregnable city of Babylon and, almost unopposed, they conquered the city. As a consequence, the course of history for the captive Jews took a surprising turn. So, we'll study this now with a look into the Bible with Brian to see the sovereign awesome power and control which God commands over world events to bring about his divine will. Here's Brian. Thanks, John. The British Museum in London contains a cylinder of Cyrus. It documents Cyrus, the emperor of Persia, conquering Babylon without a battle and speaks of how he permitted the return of Israel to their homeland. In more detail, it tells of how Cyrus was allowed to enter Babylon without battle or fight. He says, I also gathered all their people and returned to them their habitations. There are two remarkable things there, quite extraordinary, in fact. First, that the seemingly invincible Babylon should have been captured without a fight. How could that happen? We'll return to that shortly. But the other noteworthy feature contained in the decree on the cylinder of Cyrus is the fact that he reversed his empire's time-honoured foreign policy. It had long been the conventional wisdom that the way to prevent conquered lands from rebelling was to strictly impose a forced migration policy on all of its nobility. If all its movers and shakers were transported to other lands, there was much less risk of anyone remaining behind who was able to plan a revolt. Strategically, this made good sense and had proved very effective. So why reverse it at this stage? We'll also be returning to that because it shows clearly the working of the divine hand that moves the world, including its superpowers. Let's use our Bibles to check out how God had announced this shock defeat and sea change of policy many years in advance. The book of Isaiah is one of the most admired books of the Bible. The New Testament writers quote Isaiah more than all the other Old Testament prophets combined. From a literary point of view, the writing of Isaiah is superb. But beyond his writing skill, Isaiah's book is filled with prophecies about God's people and the surrounding nations. Many Bible commentators fail to glimpse the awesome greatness of God, and so they post-date prophecies by reading them as retrospective histories long after the event. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, this is precisely the point at issue in the debate God sets up in a mock courtroom scene described for us by the prophet Isaiah. It's as if the Lord, the God of Israel, calls on his people Israel to be his witnesses in a court of law. Arranged against him are the nations and their gods. Decisive evidence is required as to who is the true God, and the evidence presented by Israel's God is his ability to predict the future, 
This is Isaiah 41, verse 21. Present your case, the Lord says. Bring forward your strong arguments, the king of Jacob says. Let them bring forth and declare to us what is going to take place. As for the former events, declare what they were, that we may consider them and know their outcome, or announce to us what is coming. Declare the things that are going to come afterward, that we may know that you are God's. Indeed, do good or evil, that we may anxiously look about us and fear together. Behold, you are of no account, and your work amounts to nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. I have aroused one from the north, and he has come. From the rising of the sun he will call on my name, and he will come upon rulers as upon mortar, even as the potter treads clay. Who has declared this from the beginning, that we might know? Or from former times that we might say, he is right. Surely there was no one who declared. Surely there was no one who proclaimed. Surely there was no one who heard your words. As Israel's God, he confronts the gods of the nations in a virtual courtroom battle, calling on them to present their case and their strong arguments. From the north and east, he was bringing a deliverer for Zion, announcing this before Judah even went into the captivity from which they were to be delivered. On the other side of the courtroom, all his opponents and would-be rivals are shown to be silent and impotent. None of them could do the same. Later, in chapters 44 and 45 of Isaiah, the Lord gives more detail of his telling of the future. Here's 44, verse 26. God says, It is I who says to Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, and of the cities of Judah they shall be built, for I will raise up her ruins again. It is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he will perform all my desire. And he declares of Jerusalem, she will be built, and of the temple your foundation will be laid. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand, to subdue nations before him, and to loose the loins of kings, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze and cut through their iron bars. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, I have also called you by your name. I have given you a title of honour though you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Cyrus, king of the Persian city of Anshan, ascended to power in 559 BC. Ten years later, he killed the rival king of the Midian people and established the Persian Empire, and extended it from modern Turkey as far as India. When he took Babylon in the year 539 BC, he reversed the policy of previous empires. Far from transporting subdued peoples, he encouraged them to go home, and this applied to Israelites, confirmed by the cylinder in the London Museum. Let's rewind to the year 539 BC. Instead of preparing to meet the Persian threat to his kingdom, Babylon's king has decided to throw a party 
for a thousand of his lords. To some extent, Belshazzar's overconfidence is understandable. Babylon was square, about 15 miles on each side. It boasted of an outside wall that was 87 feet wide. Herodotus talks of chariot races around the walls, six abreast. Inside this wall was a second wall with a moat, a water defence between them. Oh, and 250 watchtowers. The river Euphrates crossed the city, providing the water for both the protective moat and for survival purposes during a siege. Babylon was widely regarded as impregnable. But Herodotus describes how the Persians diverted the river Euphrates into a canal upriver so that the water level dropped to the height of the middle of a man's thigh, which made the flood defences useless and enabled the invaders to march along the riverbed to enter by night. The way of conquest was virtually bloodless, with no significant damage to the city. But while still feeling secure, earlier, on the very night this happened, the Babylonian king, Belshazzar, had, during the festivities, desecrated the vessels that had been taken from the Jewish temple, captured by his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar 70 years earlier. But he was shocked to see some writing appearing on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. This historic incident, recorded in graphic detail in the pages of the Bible, has given us our modern expression of the writing being on the wall whenever we think of an early indication of some impending failure. God's servant, Daniel, among the captives of Israel held in Babylon, interpreted the written message for the king. It sealed his fate. The city would fall that night in the way we described. And Daniel also had a message from God for the incoming king. Perhaps we can imagine how, after Cyrus' triumphal entry into the city, Daniel could have presented to Cyrus the writings of Isaiah that included the letter we quoted, addressed to Cyrus by name and written maybe 150 years earlier. Daniel might even have said to Cyrus, I've been waiting for you. Having been called by name in a letter written before he was born, Cyrus would realise this was from God. He must have been astonished. Was this a factor in him arranging for the Hebrew captives to be permitted to return to Jerusalem? So the Jews were encouraged by Cyrus to return and rebuild their temple. These two events, the taking of Babylon without a battle and the unprecedented freeing of the Jews soon after, are both remarkable historical events in themselves. What makes them even more notable is the fact that God foretold this destiny in Isaiah's prophecy, mentioning Cyrus by name at least 100 years before his birth. As shocking as it was for Habakkuk to learn that the Babylonians would be God's instrument to judge, imagine the horror for them when Isaiah announces a pagan messiah in the shape of Cyrus. But such are the sovereign workings of Almighty God, and we can only stand in awe.
Thanks, Brian, for your talk. Remember, these study talks are available to download online or as a transcript book. And here's how to obtain the book. Either you can get it yourself by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media, or if you're not able to do that and need to request a hard copy book, just write in and ask for the title, Our God Reigns. You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN48, DY, UK. And our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, you may be interested to know that if you go to the website I just mentioned uh, previously, uh, that's at churchesofgod.info forward slash media, you can listen again to many of these broadcasts off air by audio podcast or MP3 versions. So why not have a go and see what you can find to enjoy? Now, if you're following this series each week, I hope you're enjoying it and finding a greater awareness of the awesome power and sovereignty of God. I hope you'll join us again next time for what Brian's called unscripted preparations for the fullness of time. Of course, it won't be Brian who's unscripted, but he'll explain it all next time. So, for now, it's goodbye and very best wishes from our Bible teacher Brian, our producer David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon, and in the meantime, may God richly bless you.